Welcome to We Have This Hope. My name is Emily Curzon. This is a podcast about the study of scripture, the art of remembering, and the practice of telling. On the show, we'll explore the ways God calls his people to remember by studying scripture together, and we'll hear individual stories of hope anchored in the beautiful and ancient practice of remembering. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome back. This is our second episode in our Spaces series. If you're new here, we are talking this fall about the spaces we occupy, the physical context where we do our lives and where God meets with us. And we're doing that each week by looking at a specific physical space. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about where how God meets us in our hometowns, how God uses that, what does scripture have to say about that. This week, we're going to be looking at church buildings or where we worship. Maybe it's not an actual church building, but the physical place where we gather with other believers. We're going to dive into some Old Testament scripture on the temple. We're going to look at the early church, and hopefully we're going to think a little bit about our own modern experience as people who gather in a physical space to worship God together. So for today's episode... I'm going to deliver the punchline, not the punchline. I don't know what it is. I'm going to deliver some points right here at the very get-go before we open up and look at Solomon's temple. The first thing I want you to hear as we talk about the physical space of a church or where we worship is this. Everything about this physical space in Scripture is about the people of God experiencing the presence of God. I'll say that again. Everything about this particular physical space where we worship in scripture is about the people of God experiencing the presence of God. This was always a corporate experience and the people of God always gathered together. And when the people of God experienced the presence of God, they did several things, and we see this pattern repeated over and over again. Here's what they did. They remembered, either through declaring who God is or citing prophecy in Scripture. They repented, and then often in the Old Testament made sacrifices. They rejoiced. They worshiped. They had instruments, all kinds of cool stuff we're going to see. And they went home to their regular lives. So here's those four things again. They remembered, they repented, they rejoiced, and they went home to their regular lives. Now, in the New Testament, we're going to see that some of that order is a bit different because things change when, you know, things change after Jesus rises from the dead. So um, for now, we're going to look at Solomon's temple. And so We're going to open up to 1 Kings chapter 8 and just kind of do a quick overview of what that very first temple was like and why it mattered. Before we dive into 1 Kings, I do want to say that this is Solomon, the son of David, who's just completed leading the final construction of the physical temple. This is the very first temple Up until this point, there has not been a physical space for the people to gather, worship, and interact with the presence of God. So this is huge. This is a moment of fulfilled prophecy. 
And I'm going to pick up, I'm going to read you verses 3 through 6 and then jump to 10 and 11. So this is 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 3 through 6. It says, When all the elders of Israel had arrived, the priests took up the ark, and they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tent of meeting and all the sacred furnishings in it. The priests and Levites carried them up, and King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. The priests then brought the Ark of the Lord's Covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. Jumping down to verse 10, says, When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Okay, what did we just hear? What did it say? Well, it said Solomon's finished the temple. He's used his wealth to make it beautiful beyond anything that's ever physically been constructed. And he has the priests bring the Ark of the Covenant into the most holy place. And when they're finished... This really bizarre thing happens. This huge cloud descends, and it says that the glory of the Lord filled his temple. So this cloud represents God's presence has come to dwell in the temple. And then as the chapter goes on, Solomon blesses the people who are gathered. He prays publicly and repents. So we get this pattern of he remembers what God has done. The people repent. They offer sacrifices and dedication. And then in verse 66, it says this, on the following day, he sent the people away, Solomon did. They blessed the king and then went home, joyful and glad in heart for all the good things the Lord had done for his servant David and his people Israel. Why did it matter? Why did this first physical structure where they could worship matter so much to the people at the time? Well, It was huge, to say the least. They had been asking God for a place to meet with him, a place for his presence to dwell. Then they wandered in the wilderness. Then they schlepped all the furnishing and fixtures of the tent of meeting through those places. And now they finally have seen God do what he said he would do, and that was to build a place for his presence to dwell. This was hugely significant in the life of Israel. But... Moving very quickly through some Old Testament history, we know that this temple is eventually destroyed. This physical structure is destroyed when the Babylonians, the Assyrians come in and take over. They destroy the temple. God's people are taken captive and moved to Babylon. But this beautiful thing happens in the book of Ezra. And this is where we're going to pick up with our next quick scripture reading. We're going to be looking at Ezra chapter 3, where... Through King Cyrus, God is going to allow his people to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. What I'm reading to you is from chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. And just for context, this is the first group of exiles that's come back, and they're laying the foundation. They're literally laying the the, the, pouring the foundation. I don't know what it was made of. They're pouring the foundation of the second temple. And it says in verse 10, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets, 
and the Levites with symbols took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love to Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and families who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid. While many others shouted for joy, no one could distinguish the sounds of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard from far away. I love this passage. So what did it say? Well, the foundation of the second temple is laid. The priests are there and they've got their outfits on and the Levites are there. Everybody's got trumpets and cymbals. They're singing, shouting. But this really interesting thing happens. I love this detail. It says the older Israelites wept. I wonder why. When I did a study last year on Ezra and Nehemiah, my hypothesis is, is that the older Israelites were weeping because they had seen how beautiful the temple was before. And perhaps they're weeping out of relief and joy. Perhaps they're weeping out of like, oh, man, this isn't what we thought it would be. Anyway, it says that the weeping and the rejoicing is so loud that no one can tell the difference between the two and it's heard from far away. Have you ever been anywhere like that? Where the sound of noise and rejoicing and weeping or whatever it might be from a crowd of people is so loud you can hear it from far away. I think that's pretty incredible. So why did this matter? Why did it matter to them at the time? This is the people of God beginning to rebuild the physical place that allowed them to experience God, God's presence. Recall that in the Old Testament, when David starts and Solomon ultimately finishes the temple, they were finally able to have this permanent dwelling for God's presence. And this temple structure was the place where God would meet them. Imagine if the only way you could interact with God and his movement in our lives required us to physically be in a building and then that building was destroyed. This is why it mattered to them, not because of the building itself, but because of what the building held, God's presence. This structure was sacred. Now we're going to jump over to Acts and look at the early church. So Jesus has died. He's been raised from the dead. He's ascended into heaven, and the apostles are all together. And this is what Acts chapter 1, the first four verses say. This is what happens. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a loud, a loud sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, so what just happened? Well, I hope you noticed in verse 1 that the apostles were where? It says they were all together in one place. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they start speaking in all kinds of languages that people can understand, and so it's drawing a crowd, it tells us in verse 6. And then Peter stands up, 
and he cites the prophet Joel and he preaches the death and resurrection of Christ and he calls the people to repent and this time to be baptized. Many are, many people are baptized and basically the early church is formed. But I want to jump over to a kind of familiar passage and this is verses 46 and 47 of that same chapter. Here's what's happened. It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So the church is growing. The spirit has descended. Why did this matter? Well, we learn right away in verse one that the apostles are gathered because it was Pentecost. Now, it doesn't tell us like specifically where it was. It says that they're in a house. It says that they're all together in one place. But I have a little bit of a hypothesis that I want to present to you or ask you to consider. And that is that I think they were gathered at or near the temple. So little history lesson, the Jewish Pentecost was also known as the Feast of Weeks. And we learn about this in Leviticus 23, where God gives specific instructions for how they're to gather together and have the priest make sacrifices. Now, this holiday is also called, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, Shavuot, Shavuot, and is one of the three major pilgrim festivals that the Jewish people observed. And in my research, I read this is called a pilgrim festival because in biblical times, all Jewish males were required to observe this holiday at the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. So I think the apostles were gathered at the temple for Shavuot, for Pentecost. Also notice that in verse 46, it says that they continued to meet together where? in the temple courts. Why did it matter? I believe the apostles were gathered at this historic physical space, rich with cultural and religious significance and history, and that is where God chose to descend. Not in the form of a cloud filling a temple, but as his very own spirit, filling and embodying his people the church, to go and tell the good news. Okay, that was a lot. That was a broad overview of some physical spaces in Scripture. We looked at Solomon's temple. We looked at the second temple that was rebuilt by Ezra and Nehemiah and the returning exiles. And then we're just looking at how when God's Spirit descended, into the early church. It happened, I believe, near and around the physical temple. Why does this still matter? (laughs) Why even talk about it, right? Now that we are people living on this side of the resurrection, those of us with the indwelling spirit of God in us, why does it still matter? I have a few thoughts for you. While the people of the Old Testament had to gather and make sacrifices systematically and regularly to experience God's presence, like his actual presence in their midst, those of us who have professed repentance and faith in Jesus Christ don't have to make pilgrimage 
to a physical location to experience the presence of God because his spirit dwells within us. Remember that beautiful verse at the moment of Christ's death that says the veil of the temple was torn in two. It's showing us that what once literally physically separated God's people from God's holiness was no longer needed because of Christ's final sacrifice. This is beautiful truth, friends. But what I think is also true is that there is power when those of us who embody the Spirit of God gather together in one physical location, just like the apostles. That's certainly what they did. And it tells us they continued to do it right after receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. What did they do? It says they continued to meet. But why? (laughs) It's just truly a question. Why continue to meet? If our access to God's presence is no longer bound by being in a physical structure, it's just not. So why continue to do it? Why did the apostles continue to do it? Why did they call the church to continue to do it? I think because until Christ returns to dwell among us, we're still sinners stuck in the cycle of separating ourselves from the God who loves us. We still, we still want to put that veil back up. We're stuck in the cycle of light and darkness, and we desperately need each other. And we need each other to do the things the Israelites did in the very beginning. Remember those R words I said at the very beginning? We need each other to remember, to repent, to rejoice, and to do our regular life together. We're real life people with bodies who need a place, a physical place to gather and worship. What is your current relationship to the physical building where the church meets? In what ways does this perhaps mirror your relationship to Christ and his word? Are you isolated from it? Do you even know it? (laughs) Are you hungry for it? Do you love it? If you get nothing from this episode today, please hear this. We can't expect transformation and community to happen in our lives if we don't put ourselves in the physical proximity to where those things are happening. Like I said, we're real people with real lives and real needs. Let's be a people who worship together in the church. I want to end with the message translation of those last few verses of Acts chapter 2. They're so beautiful, so simple, so beautiful. It says, They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home. Every meal, a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. People in general liked what they saw. Every day, their number grew as God added to those who were saved.